Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you today? I'm good, Jason. Hope you are. I'm wonderful, Bill. It's uh, another wonderful day here, and you know we're continuing to do this <laughs> in in the uh, W.G. Alexander Studios, as I like to call. Uh, oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know one of the things that I do appreciate about this show is that we're you know we finish up by noon, and hence we're through before any of the football games start. So people can listen to us, enjoy our show, hopefully get something from it. Uh, and then uh, if they want to tune into the football games, no problem. <laughs> well, we, we can't help you with picks, but we can help you with a lot of other information. And Bill, I know you want to start out talking about trust. Revocable trust. I do. And, uh, you know, the, I always get questions, should I have a trust? And they're really, you know, when people ask that, they typically are talking about a revocable trust, a living trust. And a living trust is a trust that you create for yourself and your family while you're alive and well. Uh, And that is opposed to a trust that you put in your last will and testament. That kind of will is called a testamentary trust. You have to die to create that kind of trust. And that's okay too. Uh, They work, uh, but... uh, revocable trusts have many, many advantages. And now they're not for everybody. You know, families are unique. And for some folks, it really depends on their planning goals. And to some degree, it also depends on um, how wealthy they are or not wealthy or, you know, just normal folks. And what are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? But the fact is, is that families, there's a higher percentage of families that are complicated. They have unique situations. Um, it's uh, Oftentimes it's because there are second marriages or third marriages and their children by previous marriages, you know, loved ones that you care about, that you want to share in your estate, but they're, they're not the children of your current spouse. You know, those, those kind of issues are far more common today than they were in years past. Um, And, of course, that's not the only complication. I mean, uh, folks have special children that that, uh, need special instruction, special trusts that are available to them. Uh, And um, or, you know, it's kind of thing where it's pretty rare to find a family that's perfect. <laughs> and I don't know if it exists out there, but some are more perfect than others. Uh, and uh, the fact is, is that sometimes we will, um, you know, we'll have a spouse who's not doing well. Uh, they can't manage uh, property uh, for one reason or another. Uh, we have children that have the same issues, spendthrift issues with our children, or maybe even the spouse of our children, uh, you know, give us angst. <laughs> uh, it uh, can be that we have a child or grandchild with, um, with serious issues like drug addiction or alcohol addiction or gambling addictions. You know, bottom line is the world's complicated. And so if, if we want to plan around some of those issues, then a trust is a wonderful 
and an excellent way of doing it. I'll, uh, another issue that um, is not infrequent is, um, and this is typically what I call a ladies issue, because most men don't care. <laughs> but the fact is, is that let's say you have a nice estate and you want to make sure that your uh, the bulk of your you want to protect your spouse. That's always a goal. You want to take care of your spouse. But then you also want to make sure that your children end up with what you've worked for your entire lifetime. Well, um, quite frankly, there are great concerns and, and quite frankly, legitimate concerns uh, on the part of women that uh, if they should die first, now women have the advantage over men in that the majority of times, guess what? They outlive the men. <laughs> but nobody can make that call. No one knows when the Lord's going to take us. So the bottom line is, what happens when the wife dies first? Well, frankly, what is her concern? Well, frequently, the biggest concern is that the husband will go out and be stupid and marry the, you know, the gold digger, the what I call the pole dancer. <laughs> so, and you know, and, and quite frankly, we've all seen it happen where um, the surviving spouse remarries and then the children end up with nothing. You know, the, the the entire state ends up going to the younger spouse. That's, and then bottom line, uh, you know, there's nothing that ends up going to the kid. So, obviously, with a trust, you can actually uh, make sure that your estate eventually goes to your children and not to the pole dancer. <laughs> and, then, and so, I mean, that's just one tool that can be used. And now, of course. Uh, a lot of folks like trust because they're private. They they save money to the degree that uh, if you have your property in trust, that trust does not go through court administration, which saves those court fees. Uh, oftentimes, the professional fees involved are much lower with a trust than they would be if you have to go through court administration. So some folks like a trust simply for that reason. Uh, and in some states, that's a very legitimate reason because probate expenses are can be very expensive. I mean, think about New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Florida, California. Their court administration fees are pretty darn high, even South Carolina. So it's the kind of thing where if you can avoid those fees, that really is helpful. Now, North Carolina has fees, but they're very reasonable. And so it's the kind of thing where, and in some cases, it's good to have court administration because it's audited. And so if you have a dysfunctional family, having an audit is, <laughs> is a good thing. Uh, and, you know, I was just at a conference last weekend where it was discussed about uh, how, uh, you know, there are people out there who... Um, basically are there to steal an estate that they're 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 take advantage of seniors and of families and uh, they'll go into the clerk's office and lie to the clerk about who the family members are and things like that so 
Uh, and of course, you can have the same thing with trust-based planning too. If so, you know there there has to be some vetting involved. But the 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 but trusts actually give families tremendous advantages. Now, uh, for uh, and and quite frankly, there are a lot of folks who own real estate outside the state of North Carolina. Well, frankly, if you don't have a trust and you own real estate outside North Carolina, you end up with two estates. You have one in North Carolina, and then you have what's called an ancillary estate. So if you own a condo down in Myrtle Beach, <laughs> or you have a, a, a cottage in Virginia or Maine or anywhere, basically you've got a, a, a court administration in another state, and that's always extraordinarily extraordinarily expensive to have that handled you have two sets of lawyers one here one there with court fees and so frankly you know under those circumstances even if you have a modest estate it tends to be a good idea to have a trust uh, so that the property outside North Carolina can be in that trust and can avoid those issues now with that said, what's the biggest problem with trusts? It's what I call the magic book syndrome. And you might say, well, what's that? <laughs> it's because there are so many attorneys out there who do trusts. And then it's like, here's your document, you know, see you later. In other words, there's no assistance in doing the most important function with a trust. Now, Jason, you've been with me a long time, a number of years now, so what am I talking about? What is that big problem? The big problem is not putting anything in the trust. Exactly. You would not believe how many people come to me, oh, we, we need you to review our trust. We just moved here from you know X state. And I'll and first one of the first things I'll typically ask is, well, what's in this trust? And they'll look at me, you know, the deer in the headlights kind of thing, and they'll say, "What do you mean? Well, you, well were we supposed to do something? Here's our book. Here's here's our magic book." <laughs> and the fact is, is that so many people think that they've signed these documents at their lawyer's office, and they're through. And yes, they do have a last will and testament that says, if it's not in my trust when I die, put it in my trust. Well, guess what? That is a huge problem because then the lawyers are going to make more money out of you rather than less because guess what? Everything has to go through court administration before it even gets to your trust. And then you have trust administration on top of that. Well, that's a bad result. So the fact is, is that folks need to make sure that their property is, in fact, transferred into their trust. That's what makes a trust beautiful. It's what makes it work. And I, so anyway, I, now I want to talk about those issues a little bit more, and I know we have to take a break, but... Uh, that's such an important issues for families that do, in fact, create trusts. And trusts are fabulous planning tools. And, Bill, as you said, that can be a costly mistake. If you have some documents and you're not sure if your trust is set up properly, 
get it reviewed by Bill. You can go online to wgalaw.com and schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also call the office at 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. If you do not have a trust and you want to learn more, Bill has webinars that he puts on every month, and one of them is dedicated to asset protection and trust planning. You can learn more by going to WGALaw.com, and this time click on the Seminars button, and there you can register. It is free to do so. It's also free to attend as well. You can do it from the comfort of your own home as it is in the form of a webinar. Go to WGALaw.com, click Seminars to learn more, or you can call 919 919- 256-7000-919-256-7000. The next set of webinars happening October 13th, Wednesday, October 13th. And the other seminar that Bill does is also dealing with the long-term care assistance. This deals with Medicaid, VA benefits, and uh, how to f- find assistance for long-term care costs. WGA Law. To find more information, we're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, we're talking all about trusts. Before we uh, took a break, we were discussing the pivotal mistake of not having anything in your trust. Well, it is so important that once you create a trust, and, and I will say that most of the trusts that I create today are what I call joint trusts for married couples. Now, I create single trusts for single people as well, but, um, you know, most couples come to us, they've been married a long time, and they have uh, the majority of their assets held together, joint. You know, at the bank, it's joint with right of survivorship. Their investment accounts are joint with right of survivorship. They own their real estate together as husband and wife which is similar to joint with right of survivorship. Um, and so, but, but the reason that they're doing trust planning is oftentimes for estate tax purposes, not always, but sometimes, uh, and it's always about the children. You know, it's we want to do something special for our children as opposed to here it is, use it and lose it. <laughs> Let's... So oftentimes we are creating lifetime asset protection trusts for children, which is really good. You can also do the same thing for your spouse, which can be extremely helpful as well. Uh, there, there are lots of unique scenarios that you can do. I mean, it's like if you want to uh, make sure you're, you're, so that you don't have to worry about your spouse marrying the pole dancer, you can do... Uh, remarriage restrictions or issues in your trust and leave an irrevocable trust for your spouse that goes to your children upon your spouse's death, which, you know, a lot of folks choose to do. Or you can have a very simple, I love you, everything goes to the spouse, and then we're on an honor system to make sure that it all goes to our children 
at death. And so there are a lot of different ways of taking care of that. But two issues that um, I do things a little bit differently is if you if you're married and you have a joint trust, do you put your home into the trust? Well, you know, good legal answer. That depends. So if you have a simple plan, you know, and I love you, it all goes to the spouse. Uh, in other words, there's no re- remarriage restrictions. You don't have what's called a credit shelter trust for, at you know, for estate tax purposes in your trust. So there's not an irrevocable trust at the first death. If there's not an irrevocable trust, then putting your your primary home in your trust is a good idea. But for me, if I have an irrevocable trust that's in our trust agreement, then I typically will recommend in most marriages, and of course everybody's unique, but you know, if you've been if the couple's been married a long time, uh, then I never want to have the home in the trust. Now, if they have any other real estate, yes, that needs to be in the trust. But the home, I don't like if I don't want for the home to be half in an irrevocable trust and half in the survivor's uh, revocable trust at the first death. I don't think that's fair to the survivor more often than not. And so my recommendation is put the home in the trust, in the survivor's trust, after the first death. That way, the survivor has the ability to do whatever's needed with the home. If the survivor needs to sell the home and move on, you know, go. it might be that they're moving to independent living or they need to they want to live near the grandchildren so they sell the house and move well you know it's far more difficult if the, the if the the home is half owned by an irrevocable trust uh, the taxes are different and so frankly if if it's a normal marriage type of situation I generally will not put the primary residence in the trust until after the first death. Now, if it's a complicated situation, that's that's a different uh, result, but that's why it depends. And then the other big asset uh, are the motor vehicles, the cars and trucks and, and the like. And frankly, <clears throat> that is an, uh, those are assets that I typically don't put in a trust either. But I always make sure that there's a way that they can be conveyed easily at the first and second death. And that is meaningful as well. But, and and just because I need to remind folks, so many folks have their vehicles owned jointly. And in North Carolina, you, North Carolina is a unique state when it comes to the ownership of motor vehicles. And quite frankly, because of how insurance works, it's far better to have your motor vehicle owned solely in one name by the principal driver of that vehicle. And and it, it doesn't matter if you have three or four vehicles. If there's only one person that drives it, that person should be the owner of that vehicle, not joint. And, and people ask me, well, why is that? And so many people get this wrong. It's because 
Number one is for asset protection purposes. In other words, if you don't own the vehicle and the primary driver is negligent and, uh, and, and they get sued and you don't have enough liability insurance protection, the lawyers who are looking for additional assets can't sue the spouse who doesn't own the vehicle. That's important, <laughs> okay, because your house is protected if you own it together and there's a judgment only against one spouse. So for asset protection purposes, that's helpful. But there's another big reason that's based on a very unique North Carolina law, and it's case law. It's not statutory. It's the fact that if you're injured by your negligent spouse, your spouse runs into a tree, you're in the passenger seat, and you go to the hospital for a month because you're seriously injured, well, guess what? If you are not the owner of the vehicle, you're not a co-owner, so your spouse is the driver, the spouse is the sole owner, you, as the injured passenger, can collect on your own insurance policy. And that's really important. If you co-own the vehicle, you cannot collect on your insurance policy for your serious damages. Why? Because that North Carolina case says you control the driving. If you own the vehicle or if you co-own it, you either control or partially control the bad driving of your spouse. Now, I know people are laughing about that, but that's the law of North Carolina, and we're a contributory negligent state, which basically means you're contributory negligent for your spouse's bad driving even when you're injured and you cannot collect on your insurance policy. To me, that's really important. And I know there are a bunch of personal injury lawyers out there going, yeah, yeah, tell them, Bill. <laughs> so the fact is, that's really important. So, you know, heed that advice. Well, that's something that I don't think a lot of people think of. Most people probably default to owning their vehicles jointly and making sure that both names are there on the title, but that is certainly food for thought. If you want to find more information about Bill, maybe you want to schedule an appointment to speak with him, maybe you have a trust or maybe you're interested in uh, having one created, go to WGALaw.com, schedule some time to sit down with Bill. You can also learn more at his Asset Protection and Trust Planning Seminar happening on Wednesday, October 13th. You can register and attend for free. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button to learn more. Bill also has a morning session dealing with long-term care assistance. We talk about that so often on this program. You can sign up and learn more. Again, WGALaw.com. Click on that seminars button, or if you prefer to call the office, the phone number to do so is 919 919- Two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can learn more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw. 
Com. That's also where you can register for Bill's webinars. Bill has two webinars that he puts on, one dealing with long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits, and the other dealing with asset protection and trust planning, which deals with many of the topics that we're talking about today. You can register and attend for free. These are highly educational and informative. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button to learn more and to register as well. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill, we've uh, discussed a lot about trusts, but uh, you you have some warnings for us about some uh, some devices that are often offered to us by banks. Well, well not just banks, investment advisors, and it, it, frankly, the best scenario for us uh, is to learn by the mistakes of others and not our own mistakes. And of course, if you make a mistake at your death then guess what? You can't change it. (laughs) So, you know, it's pretty important. Well, what am I talking about? Banks use what's called PODs, pay on death. What are they? It's a beneficiary designation. Investment advisors use a very similar device called a TOD, transfer on death. Again, it's a beneficiary designation. And guess what? Banks and investment advisors love for you to create these beneficiary designations. And quite frankly, they can be to your detriment. Because the fact is, is that they never call your attorney or ask you, do you have a certain kind of estate plan where this is a bad idea? They always think it's a great idea for you to use a beneficiary designation, and quite frankly, you use it at your peril. And what's so bad is that most bankers and most investment advisors are considered what? Trusted advisors. Why would they give us bad advice? Well, the fact is, if they would call your your estate planning attorney to find out what kind of a state plan and then figure out, is this a good idea or not? That would be fine. But do they do that? No, they don't do that. And so the bottom line is, if you sign this, you could be ruining a very good plan that you have created. Now, what I'm getting at is this. Now, if you have the simplest of plans, and quite frankly, they don't exist that much anymore because we have such complicated families. But if you have the simplest of plans where, you know, all you want to do is leave everything to your spouse, period, and then you hope that all your children survive you and that that you can leave it outright to them. And there's no strings attached, no handcuffs. You're just, here it is. It's yours, boys and girls. Now, the fact is that, you know, obviously, do I like that? Not with, you know, where there's a, a, a decent size estate because there's no asset protection, there's no, you can give guidance with trust that, that you cannot do with just outright distributions. Beneficiary designations are outright distributions to your spouse and or children. So the point I'm trying to make is that off the bank, oftentimes they just have a false assumption that everybody wants to leave everything outright to your spouse and or children and that nothing ever goes wrong. You know, in other words, you don't have a, a disabled child. You don't have a, 
a, a child who predeceases you uh, or you don't have a disabled spouse or, you know, all of those things are false assumptions on the part of the banks and the, and the investment advisors when they get you to sign these documents. So the, the, what I'm getting at is that it deletes any kind of contingency planning because a goodwill, and especially a good trust, is going to have contingency planning. If this happens, then do this. If that happens, then do that. Well, a POD and a TOD doesn't allow that. It's like, okay, if they're alive, give it to them. If they're breathing, give it to them outright. And if they're on Medicaid, doesn't matter. If you wanted to have remarriage restrictions, doesn't matter. It's all theirs. The pole dancer gets it. Uh, You know, it's that kind of thing. Now, what's the worst case scenario I've ever seen? I had a, a, a fella who's that he was in his 80s, wonderful family. His wife was sick, went to the nursing home, had, and we got her on Medicaid, and we preserved the home, and he had about a half million dollars uh, that we were able to preserve for him. And, of course, unfortunately, as he got a little older, his wife was in the nursing home for several years, and then the banker convinced him to sign a POD, pay on death, beneficiary, to whom his wife. Oh, this will save you a lot of money. You don't have court administration when you do this. Banker had no clue that he already had a sophisticated trust with for his wife. So if he died, everything would go into trust for his wife, and his wife would stay on Medicaid no problem, and then at her death, it could be distributed to the children with no Medicaid estate recovery. And guess what? Because the banker did that, and and like I said, trusted advisor, banker says, oh, this is better, sign here. The family lost over $350,000 due to that friendly banker. So I'm just saying that you have to watch out. If you have anything other than the simplest of plans, a TOD or a POD will basically abolish your contingency planning. And the fact is, is that most of us need contingency planning, even in a relatively simple will or trust, because we don't live perfect lives. Things go wrong. Things uh, that happened that we wish never happened. That's life. You know, it's nobody lives a perfect life. And the fact is, is that those kind of beneficiary designations are horrible. <laughs> well, it's hard to know all the potential consequences of these offerings and uh, you know, when it comes to beneficiary designations, that's why having someone to look over everything as a whole and making sure everything is working in harmony, going according to the plans that you want is so essential. If you want to have some guidance from Bill, go to WGALaw.com, schedule some time to speak with him or attend one of Bill's webinars. Go to WGALaw.com. If you want to register for the long-term care assistance session happening on Wednesday, October 13th, again, go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button, or if you want to attend the afternoon webinar, which covers asset protection and trust planning, do the same thing. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button. There, it's free to register and free to attend. And 
you'll learn just an incredible amount of information, just like we do every week with this show. WGALaw.com is the website. If you want to call the office, that phone number is 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. We've got more to get to right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him online at any time at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, we've touched on a number of topics today. And before we get to a new topic, you want to go back to trust real quick. Well, one of the points I want to make is that one of the advantages with trust-based planning, and by trust, I'm talking about a living trust, creating a trust that you've created during your lifetime. And the nice thing about trust is that uh, if you can think it, you can make it happen in a trust, which is really not true in a will-based plan. And I'll, and I'll give you a, an example. I, I have a client uh, that's doing a trust right now, has, has two daughters, uh, you know, one has three children, the other has one child, wonderful family, everything's going great. And his basic plan is he wants his estate divided equally between his two daughters with lifetime asset protection trust, very similar uh, type of plan. But he also wanted to do something for his grandkids. So he said, well, is it possible? Can I allocate some additional money for each grandchild? I don't want to create a trust for the child, but can we allocate additional money into the trust of each daughter for, but primarily for the grandchild? And I said, sure, we can do that. In other words, but it takes some creative planning. He wanted to do it for educational costs for his grandchildren. So, and he wanted to allocate, like, let's say $100,000 per grandchild. So, Yes, you just have a formula to allocate the additional money into the trust of the child and then have guidance on uh, in the trust for the, ch- the daughter for the purposes of her children. In other words, here's extra money. We want you to use this, dear, for our grandchildren's education, and we're giving you a little extra money to do that with. Well, with that guidance, it gives some fiduciary guidelines to the daughter in terms of managing her own trust for the benefit of her children. You know, and then it's a matter of, okay, how do we structure the educational plan? Well, not too difficult. It's like, okay, if they're already through college, he wanted it for a four-year college plan. If they're already through, do they have student loans? Well, if that's the case, then uh, we're going to reduce the amount that would be allocated at our death for that share to whatever that loan is if it's less than, say, $100,000. Or if the child's already through one uh, year of school and has three left, then you allocate 75000 rather than 100000 So some of it takes a little bit of creative thinking to do exactly what 
dad wants to do. But what I'm getting at is with trust-based planning, you can actually do that. And that's one of the things that make a trust special. Now, with that said, let me switch gears completely on everybody and go to a topic that is very important to families that suffer with a loved one who's in a nursing home on Medicaid because uh, there, it, it, with anyone who's on Medicaid, there is a provision that uh, requires the state to try to get their money back. It's called Medicaid estate recovery. And the biggest issue that any of us have with that is if a family does not see an elder law attorney prior to the death of their loved one, a state recovery is really hard to avoid. If, if it's a single person, in other words, there's not a surviving spouse, and so, uh, in other words, it's a widow or widower or, you know, that sort of thing with children, and the children come see you after mom dies and there's a Medicaid estate recovery, it's almost impossible to avoid that estate recovery. There are a couple tools that we can use. Uh, and one is called a hardship case, and very, very few people fall into that category because there's statutory requirements as to how you can avoid a state recovery through a hardship. However, there is one other piece that I want to share with folks because it's unique, and I hope the probate attorneys out there are listening because it's one that most attorneys miss. So what is it? There, if there is a disabled child, the Medicaid manual says no estate recovery. So if mom is single, and there's, but there is a disabled child or in North Carolina or stepchild in the family, then there is no estate recovery. You know, in other words, Medicaid will go away. They'll say, okay, we give up. You're, you're right. We don't get recovery in this particular case. Now, so what's a disabled child? Well, it's actually the Social Security definition. And, of course, you could have a disabled child because they applied for disability during their lifetime and was awarded Social Security disability or what's called supplemental security income, either one. Uh, uses the Social Security disability rules. But here's what I'm trying to say, okay, for the families out there who have a Medicaid state recovery, there is another way. I mean, let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, that you have an 85-year-old who's been on Medicaid and dies at 89 with a child who is in their 70s. And they have not been on Social Security. In other words, they've never been determined disabled, but they are disabled. You know, they have, let's say, Alzheimer's, or they have a, a, a dis disabling condition that occurred later in life, and they never applied for, for uh, disability. Well, guess what? You can ha get a doctor's letter it has to meet certain rules, but the bottom line is a doctor's letter that says this fella or this lady is disabled under this definition, blah, 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 for whatever reason, is sufficient. Now, how many lawyers out there who do 
administration of estates know this. Very, very few, because most attorneys who do probate are not elder law attorneys, and not every elder law attorney knows this. They should, but they, you know, it's the kind of thing where the disabled child exception to Medicaid estate recovery is an extremely important one. But the fact that you can have a disabled child or, or stepchild who's never had a Social Security determination of disability, that's the key thing, and it's missed by more attorneys than not. And families, you know, there are a lot of families that never hire an attorney for probate. So, again, it's another issue that can avoid Medicaid estate recovery. Bill, I always learn something new with you in these sessions, and that's one of them. And I encourage folks who want to learn something new themselves, sign up for Bill's webinars. They are highly educational and informative. You'll learn a lot of information, like the information that Bill has shared on the program today. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button, and register for either the morning session dealing with long-term care assistance or the afternoon session dealing with asset protection and trust planning. Again, it's free to attend, free to register. WGALaw.com is the website to go to. Seminars is what you want to click on. If you prefer to speak with someone and call the office, 919-256-7000 is the phone number. 919-256-7000. A short break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, we've covered a, a lot of topics today, and you know uh, I'm really uh, just amazed by what you're able to inform us about, but uh, the, the discussion on trust is, is always well, so important. you know, I, I would, particularly in North Carolina, um, not everyone needs a trust. You know, some folks are fortunate to have simple situations, and a will-based plan is more than enough to take care of them. But uh, at least in my practice, um, uh, the great majority of folks that come to see us, a trust, quite frankly, is advantageous. And it, even for what I call my orphan clients, they they a trust can be at you know an orphan client somebody who has no spouse no children no friends they're just out there. Uh, I'm kidding when I say no friends, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying they don't have anybody. And one of the nice things a trust can do for even those folks is what we call disability planning, where they can set out in their trust how they want to be taken care of with their money if they get to a point in their life where they can no longer manage their own affairs. Well, the difference is a power of attorney gives somebody the authority to make decisions, but it doesn't give them any fiduciary guidance. A trust actually sets out what they have to do, what they have to provide in a fiduciary setting so they can control who the successor trustee is and what they have to provide. So it's a really advantageous when you know that if you uh, are unfortunate and somebody has to take over because you need care, 
that your own instructions will be what they go by. And, you know, having that kind of control is why trusts are so important to people, because you can not only do it for yourself, but you can do it for your spouse, and you can do it for your children and grandchildren as well. And and that is a huge advantage that a will-based uh, plan cannot give you. They're incredibly powerful and flexible tools. If you want to learn more about uh, what they can do for your planning, schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, go to WGA Law. Dot com to do that, or you can register to attend one of Bill's free seminars. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button to learn more. We are out of time for today. We hope you will join us again next weekend. You've been listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful weekend.